this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out Union at Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com. Is that right, Jay? That is right. You got it finally. Yes. Only took two months, but I finally nailed it. <laughs> uh, speaking of our Dig Me Out Union... Twice a month, usually twice a month, sometimes three times a month if it's one of those special months where we have three Tuesdays, or five Tuesdays, I mean. Uh, we do album reviews, go back to the 1990s and talk about an album with one of our patrons who has selected it as their 12-month anniversary pick. And joining us for the first time, he couldn't make it last year, but this, so this is his, I believe, second time through with a 12-month pick. And not joining us from Australia, but in fact, the UK. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of territory to cover here. Darren Leach, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you very much. Yes, I um, moved here about a month ago. I have lived in London before, but I am originally from Australia, from good old Adelaide as well. So, uh, and, and, for, and for all those people that uh, were turned on to Finney Scad, they can thank you. Yes? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually listened to that again the other day because, and thank you for liking it last year. That was, I was, I was very surprised that you, you really liked the, basically the whole album. So yeah, it, it's just a lost, a lost, I don't want to say classic, but it's one of those lost albums that, yeah, will never get printed again. And yeah, will be lost forever. I think. Yeah. I came up on our one and done, um, episode we recorded a couple weeks ago. So, um, by some other folks. So Yeah. yeah. We're, we spread the word. We spread the word. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So, tell everyone your pick for this year and why you picked it. Okay, I've picked um, Melbourne band UMI with their 1995 album, Hi-Fi Way. Why did I pick it? It's, it's always been on my playlist every year. Um, for me, it just... It just rocks. I was 21 when this got released, and I was a bit of a rock boy back then. So uh, <laughs> I, I couldn't have anything acoustic. And we'll talk about the tracks, no doubt, later on, because there's a couple of slower tracks on this album, which at the time I didn't like. But uh, for me, this album just from beginning to end um, just hooked me in. And um, Tim Rogers, who is a lead singer, just really has an ear for a hook. And it hooked me in. And that's why I love it. And you're not the first person to suggest a UMI album. We actually covered UMI. Episode 53, Season 2, was Gavin Reed. The al- So this is a sophomore record. This The freshman album, Sound As Ever, was his pick. So this is nice. We're, I think like every 10 years, we'll do a UMI record and we'll move our way through the catalog. <laughs> <laughs> so that'll be nice. Uh, yeah, that was back, you know, back when we were just doing... 10 minute episodes and not, we're just babies we're just babies yes um had hardly had any uh i was looking back at the description of that episode and it's basically like three sentences with almost no information <laughs> yeah the description is 
In episode 53, we review UMI. <laughs> yeah. Look, Sam as ever is a is a good record. It's just not a great record. I think there were some songs that could easily fit from that album on to Hi-Fi Way, you know, like Berlin Chair, uh, Jamie's Got a Girl. But just this album, they really obviously found their uh, writing style. You know, they, this was it going forward because there was a, still a lot of sort of dirgy, grungy tracks because maybe that was the influence from Lee Ronaldo from Sonic Youth. Right. But, um, yeah. But Hi-Fi Way, yeah, they, they really just, you know, it's their signature uh, style. So Jay and I are obviously already familiar with the band because we already talked about them once uh, nine years ago. Um, mm. Some of our patrons were also familiar with the band, or they checked them out. So we had some comments over at Patreon. Ian Wobble said, I feel they really nailed the UMI sound on this album. The songwriting is miles above the debut and a damn fine band to see live at the time. They never did anything else this good. Interesting. Mm. Uh, Whitney Buehler says, I really like this album. Kathy's Clown and Minor Bird are my favorite tracks. I don't know anything about it, but I've heard it before. I just never looked into the band. Okay, Whitney. We have another episode on this band if you'd like to check it out. Uh, And then Gavin said, so it's fairly obvious that I'd be interested in this. For me at the time, it was a little disappointing as they moved away from the grungier stylings of sound as ever. Also, the Kathy's Clown reference took me to Everly Brothers and other low-fi 60s pop for obvious reasons. Over time, it held up really well and is a regular listen to me. These songs hold up really well live with an extra layer of grit that comes with that. So great choice. So overall, very positive comments on this record. Now, uh, we don't need to really get deep into the history here, but you did mention Lee Ronaldo is the producer on this record. Uh, So I believe they traveled to New York to record uh, some of this, and then some of it was co- recorded in Sydney as well. And they were on Warner Brothers at the time. So that makes sense that they have a little bit of money to um, travel to two different continents to record this record. And then um, John Auer of The Posies plays Hammond Organ on uh, Minor Bird. So there's some interesting connections with this record and uh i just wanted to read a quote because i just think it's funny that i read on the wikipedia page tim rogers you mentioned his lead singer he said um i was really high and really drunk the whole time my ambition (laughs) for it was always huge but we were more suited to the scrappier sounding thing with the way that i sing and play guitar we had seven days to make it living in new york so that's that's interesting that they only they you know, make the. I guess they probably recorded it in New York with Ronaldo, since that's where he was based out of at the time, and then maybe mixed it back in Australia or something. I'm not sure what the, uh, mm. what the, how that worked out. But so this made it to number one on the Australian Arias chart in 1995, and then when it was reissued, it looks like it made it back into the top 50 in 2013. So album definitely has some success, and Rolling Stone Australia said it was a truly exceptional album. Topping many people's best of year list. Uh, Tim Rogers says stronger for melody and telling eye for detail and the ability to make the listener feel part of his somewhat solitary world. Interesting. <laughs> All right, let's get into this record. Oh, I almost forgot. 
Speaking of Patreon, we have a new patron. Welcome, everybody. Say hello on the Patreon page to Alex Martin joining us at the $2 level. Alex will be voting in our polls for our 90s albums as well as access to stuff like our live stream today and getting a sticker. Pretty cool. All right, Jay. Yes. Tell me one thing you liked about Hi-Fi Way. Uh, I like that it's authentic. I think it sounds like a real band um, working these songs out. It has a raw edge to it. I think it's uh, kind of represents what a lot of 90s music is when it's at its best. So you've got strong songwriting, pop sensibilities at the core, but then you've got a presentation that's you know, a little more interesting and in that it's fuzzy here and there. It's it has a little bit of a spontaneous feel. It's not overproduced. Um, so I, I just really like how all that comes together in a way that, uh, you know, it makes it interesting to listen over and over again because you get layers and things you didn't notice um, the first couple times. And the whole time you're reminded that, you know, these are real people playing real instruments and there's no overuse of click tracks or you know machines or drum machines or anything like that it just sounds like a you know a good three-piece band um with solid songs so that's what i enjoyed the most about it yeah i you know in reading that quote from tim rogers about they only had seven days to record it in new york that could work two ways it could sound rushed and 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 it could sound like the songs weren't quite done but in on the flip side, which is the positive for this record, it sounds urgent and it sounds like they didn't overthink in terms of like adding too many layers. I like that on so many of the songs, you only get really one guitar track and you get to hear the playing and there's a nice diversity to the record also that I, that I like about it. Um, I think we didn't respond as well to the grungier aspect of the debut and we're I think we're caught off guard a little bit by that and we were thinking it was going to be a little bit more unique than what it was and this record really I think aside from maybe one or two songs like really dumps a lot of that grungy aspect which I really think of as a lot of like minor uh key stuff and and it really gets more into just a rock sound that heralds a lot of different areas. Like I heard stuff that reminded me of like classic era replacements that had just, you know, that like Midwestern jangle. And then there was stuff I, you know, there were riffs where I was like, that kind of sounds like an ACDC riff. Like there's little subtle rock touches from all different sounds and eras that are integrated into this. And you can, tell it was a band that was like growing because they weren't sticking to one particular sound um and i really enjoyed that especially a song like uh probably the highlight of the whole record for me is the apple cross wing commander yeah which is just such a cool posies ish you know i love the doubled vocals they sound great it's got this power pop vibe it sounds muscular that song when they when they build up at the end um, it just sounds like a band just rocking out. Command, the is, I want one hit to fly. 
incorporating and reinterpreting their influences in a really unique way. And that there's a lot of good stuff, but like that being sort of uh, the centerpiece kind of lands almost center of the record too uh, of, yeah. of the album. I really dug that song. And I think that that they show that side in a couple different tracks, but that to me was where it hit the high point for me. I was with you on that one. Um, you get some of that s- almost Sloan style vocal melody or harmonies yeah. going on. You get that bass, um, I guess, bass solo section, which kind of throws you back to just, like you said, a band that's just jamming. I, I love those kinds of moments on records where they just, you find a good spot to just let the band go and you really kind of get pulled into the performance. So I'm with you and it's it's placed well, you know, right in the middle of the record. Yeah, because if you place it like at the front, then you're like setting it up to be that record and it's not. And if you place it at the end, then it's a throwaway. But putting it in the yeah. middle says, all right, well, we're just going to try something here and... It's going to seep into some other tracks, but it's not going to be the center point of the record. Because, like, you know, songs like She Digs Here has a really melodic, mid-tempo-ish kind of, um, or, or Purple Sneakers, too, have these, like, jangly, you know, feels to them that are not specific to really anything. They're just rock songs, but you can kind of pick out a melodic twist here or there you go oh that sounds a little like paul westerberg or or something like that and um it's just it's interesting to hear the band evolve from what we heard on the first record so i, I like that we're getting to go back to this to this band mm-hmm. and and check them out yep so darren let me ask you you mentioned when you got the record um you were you know a rock boy as you put it <laughs> and um uh has that evolved for you over time? Have the, the tracks that are a little more mellow or a little more, uh, you know, mid tempo ish and not so guitar driven, have they changed their place in your, you know, what you appreciate, appreciate about the record? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, like, uh, tracks like hand washer, I never really dug at the time, you know, it's that slow acoustic track, you know, quite meaningful as well. Great lyrics as well, but I would skip it because I just wanted to move on to the next Rocky track. Wash my hands in shame Four thousand times a day When I make it at home There's a smell that always stays I know the regulars well From every stale grill And one of the patrons mentioned how great they are live. And yeah, they are probably one of the best bands I've ever seen live. And I've, I've seen plenty of bands. And I'd have to say that this band, I've seen the most live of any any band. But they are always fantastic live. You know, you, you never get a bad show. Um, and to um, 
you you hit the nail on the head with Applecross Wing Commander. That's actually my favourite track on the album. So, yeah, and it it blows everyone away live as well. So were they have they stayed a three piece? Were they a three piece at the time? I remember them being. I think they were a three piece on the first record, right? Correct. So they the the drummer left. They got a new drummer. They got Rusty in, and um, they were a three piece for the for Hourly Daily, which is their third album. And then they got a new member. Um, weirdly enough, he used to do the I can't remember his name, top of the head, to be honest. Um, he used to do their uh, guitar chords for their website as a fanboy, and then got to join the band. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That? Yeah. So I wanted to highlight a couple of the other songs that I dug on here. Stray is another one that I like. Um, has this like a 70s rock. I, I, this is the only way I can put it. I, I couldn't pin it on a particular band, but it has like this guitar riff that r- reminded me of like a 70s band. Um, and then uh, Kathy's Clown was another one, which I think was one of the singles. That was the first single, yeah. Yeah, another good track. Jay, what are some of the highlight tracks for you on this album? Um, so I've got uh, quite a few. I, I, it took me a bit to, the first couple songs, um, are not on my, my highlights. Um, the minor chords in there kind of threw me for what this band was about. She digs her, I think is the first track where I really kind of connected and understood, you know, uh, the janglier side of the band. Mm-hmm. I like Kathy's clown. I think jewels and bullets is, is awesome. I've Purple Sneakers, I like when they bring in the organ. I think it works well. Yeah. Apple Crosswing Commander, Stray, um, and I like How, How Much Enough is, is pretty good, too. It's a good so, ender, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I like that one. For me, I, I actually resonate with Pizza Guy because I was a pizza delivery guy back then. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and, and I love the line, you know, the, the six-pack. You know, they talk about the six-pack of beer because – my mate and I you loved this record and this was the first time we ever saw them live and we'd always just grab a six pack before any gig and just sit in the car and just drink three each listen to music and then go in and see a show <laughs> so there you go <laughs> <laughs> nice so I, I always love pizza guy as well You guys, yeah, have hit the nail on the head with with many of these. Like, there's so many great tracks on this. You know, I I, I love like Ken. You know, it's like two minutes twenty long, but yeah, it's kind of a straightforward rocker. And That's I actually the- do like how it opens with "Ain't Gone and Open" because it's kind of a slow slow entry, and then really kicks in with "She Digs Her" and Kathy's Clown. Then you know, there's all these singles in a row, and potential singles, and yeah. We need to talk about Ken because I have, I struggle with that one. 
the uh. vocal melody is pitch perfect Kurt Cobain. Yeah, I had to oh, say wow. In fact, I was researching Nirvana songs to try to figure out which Nirvana song <laughs> it's on. Like, What's doing too? I have I have never thought of that. Well, there you go. It's that. Okay. It's the. It's just. And I don't even think that there is a direct melodic link. It's the. It's the sequence of notes. It's the da 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 da. Like it's hitting these whatever. However, they're spaced on the scale are really close to something that's on Nevermind. And I went through all those songs. I was just trying to find, like, is it on is it on a plane or is it Territorial Pissings or what song is it? And I couldn't find the exact yeah. section. I I did the exact same thing. I went through started going through the uh the unplugged album. <laughs> <laughs> well it's funny you say that guys because I remember seeing him when the Mr. Milk single was released that was a single release in in between the second and third record and they did play a nirvana cover i've got a very strong memory of of i i can't remember the song but they definitely played a nirvana song and they also played fox on the run as well oh <laughs> nice yeah. nice which which was released on a bonus disc somewhere else but uh, yeah they did play a nirvana track so there you go and that's not the only song i i had punkarella to me had a nirvana feel to it um from a guitar riff standpoint that that's probably when I like the band least um, is on those songs where I don't know it just sounds a little too it doesn't sound as inspired as the rest of the record to me but uh, yeah it can sound a little generic 90s sometimes too it, while it, it's weird it, at its best it kind of represents to me um, you know uh, what a lot of bands were doing at the time well and then it also represents sort of uh, some of the more generic sounds and uh, I, a couple of those tunes. I totally agree. I think the heavier the band, I think the band was maturing to the point where like the heavier stuff is actually holding them back a little a little bit. And it's the things that are, and when I say heavy, I just mean in that like '90s grunge sound way. They can still rock on other songs, but they do it in a way that is more unique to themselves. And that's where I struggle with. Um, a couple of the just a couple of the tracks and I, I agree with you on the minor chord thing like i think it's because he has a good voice but it's not a great voice and it works well when he applies it well but when he goes minor or when he stretches it too much and it strains that's where i kind of like back up a little bit I'm, Man, that's not working for me but he doesn't strain when he's sticking to sort of a a, a major chord sort of jangly sound like that's where his voice sounds real comfortable and i understand vocals don't want to stick in their comfort zone all the time and they want to push themselves to some extent but i i really think that because he used you know doubling on a song like apple cross wing commander it shows how good his voice can be that on the songs where he strains it like on ken it really works against his abilities and and talents I'm with you. I thought there were some moments here where vocally I was uh, really enjoying it and other moments where it was not as successful. Um, and I wasn't even sure if there were like other people singing some of those parts. I wasn't sure what was going on. Uh, and it could have been, I mean, that's part of that, I guess, the authentic feel of it. I think when you take it all in and in, in whole, it's fine. But as you analyze the record, as we are doing, obviously, yeah. um, you can pick some po- parts where it's not as successful how did you feel about um 
Ain't Gone and Open, the the second half of that song brings a Mellotron in that is really strange. Like playing this minor kind of under bed and it really makes this turns the song into a an unexpected turn um and almost dissonant <laughs> which i don't think the rest of the record really does that it was kind of an odd one to start with and that it kind of pulls you into this mid-tempo kind of vibe but then it gets really weird for the whole second half of the song where it's like where are we going with this record <laughs> yeah that's not the instrument i would have or the part i would have played there it sounds like it was something to add a bit of, I don't know, dramatic flair, but it doesn't sound like it matches up with the vibe of the song. Like maybe I would have just chosen a different instrument, but it's, yeah. it's that Mellotron sound works really well on purple sneakers, Yeah, but it doesn't. And maybe cause it's a quieter song, but for some reason it just doesn't like, and I have the same problem with you. This, the album starts out a little weird for me, and it really like hits the stride on track three. Um, yeah, it's 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 an odd choice. I don't know what would have been the, the correct choice there. Maybe it needed to be like a second guitar coming in, playing that, or because it's so I, broad in the in the stereo spectrum. When yeah, you, when you play a keyboard, that it kind of takes over the sound. Yeah, that and that's yeah it uh. It, it pulls the song out a little too far into the weird. I, I like some weirdness and unexpected things, but it kind of starts to take over the whole song. Right. And they do a good job of like just adding a little bit here and there on each song uh, in in the right places where they're just little touches. They don't have to go overboard. A lot of the songs are pretty straightforward, but if they just add here things here and there. They don't overwhelm the song. They just add to it. Whereas that kind of overwhelms the back half of that song for me, and I didn't particularly... <laughs> Dig it. So one other thing that did not work for me is the remaster. I don't know if you guys listened to the original 96 release or the remaster, but initially I listened to the 13, 2013 remaster, and uh, it is not better than the original, at least to me. Um, hmm. Particularly if you listen for the drums. Um, in the remaster, the kick drum is completely lost. I think what they try to do is increase the volume, and it ended up increasing all of those like fuzzy midtones in the guitars so you get a lot of like brightness out of the guitars and more tone on the guitars but when you listen to the whole mix like the drums get swallowed which is unfortunate because uh i think the drumming on the record it, the sound itself is really good and the drumming performance is really good but um I'll see what you think i i, I don't know if I, I went back and a beat the two and i prefer the original which is typically the you know Obviously, a remaster should sound better, but I don't think it does. Huh, Darren, have you listened to the remastered version? 
I, when uh, when it was reissued in 2013, yes, I bought the vinyl and I did buy the double CD uh, reissue as well. But I never listened to the the album because I already owned the 2015 version. Um, so I only listened to all the bonus tracks because a lot were unreleased at the time. Gotcha. So okay. I'm I'm surprised that the uh, it's the remastering is different um, because. I know Rusty had a hand in reissuing everything, so um, yeah, I'm surprised by that. Interesting. I would say if you if you're if you're curious, just um, AB the two and listen for the kick drum, especially mm. in the louder parts of the song album. You'll notice. Yeah. Oh. You'll probably notice in the original. You can make it out a lot better. That's interesting. That's Jay's recording class for this, uh, for this episode. <laughs> hey man, I had a lot of notes on this based on the remaster on the production issues so i was glad i went back to the original because they kind of all went away it was fine um, did you guys listen to any of the bonus tracks i know there was there's quite a few i'm just interested to uh, hear if you listen to it all i didn't because i have the mp3s of the original record and i didn't go on and stream anything because uh, gavin sent us a usb stick many years ago filled with like uh, you know 20 uh, 20 different bands that we were eventually all going to you know going to get to and he included this so i just went to my usb stick and pulled the mp3s off of there so this is the original i'm guessing cd that he ripped you know yes. from 1995 so i didn't listen to the remastered version cuz i used this i put it in my you know itunes and listened to listened to it from my uh from there rather than streaming um yeah. Well, the, the original one that came out, it was when bonus discs were starting to be added into albums, you know, to as an incentive to buy. And you got a bonus seven-track live album, which was recorded actually in Seattle. Um, Soundgarden invited them to play over in the States oh. uh, on that on that particular tour, which which is amazing when you think about it. So, well, that would have been super uh, unknown, right? Yeah. Wow. So because they met each other at a big day out, which was a, a giant festival in Australia um, at the beginning of the year, which every band wanted to get on because they used to call it the big day off because they'd spend three, four weeks in New Zealand and Australia and they just had to play an hour, an hour and a half and have like three days off after that for the, until the next gig. So, And it was summer, of course. So, right, yeah. right. <laughs> and you just meet a heap of bands because... There, there must be about forty bands on each uh, each time. I, I've I'm sampling the uh, couple of the extra tracks that aren't live, and they sound different. Like "Bitter Young Man" of the Franzine Press. That's yeah. very very aggressive. Yeah, I know. Compared to the rest <laughs> of the record, I wonder if they got a bad review because I've never looked into the uh, origin of that track. But you know, Franzine Press. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So um, maybe maybe Tim read a bad review. Yeah. You mentioned that they came into to the United States and and toured with Soundgarden. I don't remember this band making any sort of a dent. I I think the name is the only thing I was ever familiar with. And I, I doubt they. I doubt they did. No. So I'm trying to figure out what the you know 1995 is not a bad year for this to be released. Grunge has sort of started to dissipate. You have your second wave of bands like Bush and Silverchair and stuff like that. But then you also have bands like Live and, you know, a, a whole host of other alternative, quote-unquote, bands 
that are softening that big dropped tuned guitar you know hard rock sound of of Pearl Jam and Nirvana and Alice in Chains and Soundgarden even Soundgarden is not as heavy I mean they're starting to become more of like a, a straight up alternative band rather than a grunge band Jay did you struggle I struggled to find like a really good radio single as opposed to like there's a bunch of good songs I, there's a lot of tracks I like but there wasn't like that killer you know one track where I go oh this is definitely the the radio single um yeah i mean i think like something like she digs her um some of the more mid-tempo-y stuff maybe could have been um because they're able to do uh like mid-tempo songs that still have a sense of um momentum to them you know that they don't sound lazy which is hard to do uh, actually to bring the tempo down and, and keep the song to have some forward momentum and urgency to it so I don't know, maybe something like that. Um, the rockers are too, I guess they don't fit the mold of what the heavier rock tunes were like on the radio at the time. And then you've got some of the stuff that's a little too generic that um, it doesn't have the killer hook. And so I, could, and I think for, for us, the standout songs are probably a bit too adventurous. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I could see, you know, even though there's a lot of good stuff on here, there's not that one sweet spot for that time where you could say like yeah that could have fit and it worked yeah well, they they made a minor dent into the aria charts but they were never a commercial uh, band they were never played on commercial radio it was always triple j and i've probably mentioned triple j before mm-hmm. in my comments but triple j it was pivotal for you know for, for my musical taste back in the uh, back in the 90s and triple j loved playing uh, you're my kind of bands you know and they they played a lot of Australian bands as well. You know, you'd hear Magic Dirt and Regurgitator, Silverchair, uh, Ammonia, something for Kate. All these all these bands, and some you may not know, may not have heard of, but um, they were big. They were big on radio. You know, they'd always be on these uh, the festivals and high high up. You know, the the bill. So yeah, I think we reviewed all those bands that you just mentioned. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> All right. This is the point in the show where we do our our better album, or, de- or worthy album, better EP, decent single. It's where we rate the record based on what we've talked about. So, Jay, worthy album, better EP, or decent single, where do you land? Worthy album. I have three, um, eight standout tracks. There's really nothing I dislike. Uh, I think the remaining tracks for me tend to just fall in the standard album track territory. Like they're not terrible, but they're uh, not standouts. So I think eight out of fourteen is pretty pretty strong, and I'd call that an album. Yeah, I'm at ten. Um, there are. Let's see. I'd say there's like five standout songs where if I was like someone wanted to know what UMI sounded like, I would immediately say these five songs. So of the 14, I would say there are 10 songs that I would keep. There are two songs that I'm like on the fence about, and then two songs I just generally don't like, um, Ken being one of them. And uh, the other one being, well, Punkarella and Ken are the two where I'm like, I would cut those off the record. But there's two I'm sort of not. The opening track, just because of that weird keyboard part. Uh, But other than that, like there's... 10 really solid 
songs here, which is more than enough for a, a 90s album. And even though I'd be cutting four songs, this is a pretty short record to, to begin with anyways. It's only like 40-something minutes. Mm-hmm. So they keep all these songs tight. You know, not, there's nothing over... The longest song is four minutes, which is gray. And then everything else is two and a half to three and a half minutes long, which is greatly appreciated. So, Darren, I know it's a worthy album. Is it a full worthy album? Or is there any tracks that you would cut? Uh, clearly, I'm a uh, I'm an album man here. Um, for me, I've had 21 years, and you've, you've, you guys have only had like a month on it or something. So... Um, you know, every song for me has something to offer. So, and because I've seen them live, you know, I've I've seen these songs live as well. So, um, yeah, I'm definitely 100% all 14 tracks. I, I wouldn't throw any away. Well, I have to say, Jay and I, based on the, uh, the trajectory, we should absolutely love the next record because we were kind of lukewarm on the first record. We really turned it around on this one. So the next record, based on that, based on that chart, we should be heading in an upward direction. And the next one, we should we should like not only the whole album, but any bonus tracks that have been released as well for that one. So well, the next one was Hourly Daily, and I believe they did actually start getting some uh, commercial radio play with a track called "Good Morning." You guys have a listen to it. Um, uh, they're a band that has two classics. And it's Hi-Fi Way and Alley Daily. Okay. We look so f- they both they both say they were released in '96. Is that true? No. Accurate? So th- this one was '95, okay. and uh, Alley Daily was '96. Okay. Maybe that was in the states. I'm not too sure. Yeah the the Apple Music uh, dates are '96 for both. So. <laughs> yeah, it probably was the US. Well, it was actually it was actually Alley um, Hi-Fi Way was actually February of. 95 so really early in the year and i'm pretty sure early daily was like late 2016 um sorry (laughs) 1996 i should say well it's been about 380 episodes since our previous umi review so in about 380 episodes when we hit episode (laughs) uh approximately 910 we will uh we'll get to hourly daily i look forward to uh to doing that uh, in my retirement, when I have when I've retired to Boca Raton, and uh, I'm playing shuffleboard, Darren, thank you so much. Through all of the technical difficulties of this episode, thank you so much for joining us. Anytime, guys. <laughs> I had an absolute ball, and I I really do love your podcast. It's probably my favorite one. So, hence I paid twenty dollars a month, whatever it is. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thanks for and thanks for bringing some good music to us. Yes, thank you. Two years all in a row. Well. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and I Australia's wanna... got some great stuff, so yeah. Well, that's what we have learned. We, you know, at some point, um, there will be a, there should probably be a uh, spin-off podcast just for <laughs> Dig Me Out Australia, uh, based on, <laughs> based on what we've learned over the last nine yeah. years. Well, being we a can... child of the nineties, yeah, there's, I've still listened to probably most of what I bought back then on CD. Yeah, same with us. Although mm. ours just comes from uh, Gavin's USB stick. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I need to remind everyone DMOUnion.com is where you go to join us at Patreon. You can start at the $2 level for our monthly polls to join the community, 
to discuss them and get your cool Dig Me Out Union sticker. And then you can go all the way up to the 1950 level, which will get you a T-shirt. And you can vote in our roundtable selection polls, our 80s episode selections. Our You get a... Uh, well, you basically you get to all the polls. You get all the merch. And uh, there's all sorts of tiers in between. We hope that you'll check them out. And uh, we appreciate everyone who continues to support the podcast. It's been a... We're almost at the halfway point of this year. It's crazy. Yeah, maybe we could get a couple more patrons. You can um, upgrade your internet connection. Thank you. <laughs> Maybe move uh, to DS, maybe move up to DSL. <laughs> I gotta hold on. I gotta take the AOL disc out of my drive. And... <laughs> uh, and if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. So for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash digmeout and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com. Zazzle.